Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm with Vincent Hoy and recently at the Irish Soccer Writers, he was honoured with a special merit award. Let me say that... There's no doubt there would be no football. There would be no Drogheda United in Drogheda but for this man. He's well known for his extensive legal practice. He's passionate about Drogheda Town and he's no mean bowls player as well, I'm told. Vincent, great to meet you this afternoon. And let me say first off, congratulations on the award. What did it mean to you? Well, look, it's, it's not an award just to me. It recognises work done by so many people. I know them from way back... I don't want to mention names, but there are, when I think of what, what some people, the hours, the, 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 the commitment that they've given to that club, it wouldn't be there only for them. And I'm only just representing those. Many of them have passed away, unfortunately, but I remember them, and they, they are the reason why Drawdy United is where it is today, after all. Now, you mention other people, and you are always a man to deflect from yourself but again I say congratulations to you but let's go right back will you tell me how you became involved with football in Drogheda initially well somehow when I was at school in the Cord Road we, we, we just were we had soccer there we, were, we had Bayern Rovers and we had a team called Cord Celtic that I played for and and then it was up to United Park to see the Drogheda team playing, you know, when you think of some of the great names that played for Drogheda at that time, Jimmy Carroll, for example, I'm just thinking of, and, and uh, oh, there's so many, to mention Seamus Dunn, who went to Luton Town afterwards, then there was Podgy Kelly, who was from, from Sandyford Terrace, and the Moors and the Heaney's and the, you know, and of course all the Thorntons and so forth from the, from the Windmill Road and so we used to stand on the bank and look at these, and we, we, we adored them. We thought they were fantastic. Desi Fagan, of course, we, we couldn't... Beautiful player and lovely man. So then uh, when I... I was playing for Cord Celtic in the Summer League when Paddy Riley, Paddy now, who was the chairman, came and asked me to play for Draw the United Youths. So that was in 1952... So I played with the youths in Dublin League for 1952 and 1953. We were only 16 and 17 years of age at the time. I can tell stories, by the way, about that. I mean, Paddy Riley, <laughs> Paddy, we would be scared stiff coming in at half time if things weren't going well. He would come in and take, st- he'd really knew. He used his very, the F word, if I may say, so I won't use it myself. But I never had anybody before or since that could put such passion into it and scare the life out of you. <laughs> I remember him saying one time, you know, listen, he said, look, this is football. I mean, you can't play football if you haven't got the effing ball. <laughs> would, you, would you mind just keeping that in mind? This would be the way he talked to you at halftime. Anyhow... Uh, after that, then it was Father Conley who came to me. He was setting up the, the team going into the league, draw the, draw the AFC into the league. He asked me to would I act on the board. At that time, he invited a number of people. I don't know many remember it. There was Noel McQuillan, and there was Mal Matthews, Paddy McGee, 
So in any event, of course, we did. And I, I was telling the story about what it, what it was like in those days. I mean, you, you went to the board meeting and you always brought your checkbook every week because it just was, it came round to the treasurer's report and that was, hey, well, how much is it this week to keep the show on the road? And this went on for years, you know. Now, some of the directors didn't stick it as long as I, I stuck it through, thick and thin, and I have to say Paddy McGee was a great man too. And uh, Ben Connolly, Ben, probably Connolly's brother, and so on. So uh, that's how I, I got into it, you know. And uh, we, 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 there was no turning back. But I want to tell you, Jerry, the reason. Okay, it, well, it was about soccer, and I loved the game and all that, and I loved the name. But I always saw Drawdy United as a community asset. It was important. I, I, I was involved in the community every other way. I wanted to develop Drawdy. And I saw that this was something, a, a League of Ireland team in the town carrying the name of Drawhead every week on the in the newspapers, on the radio, and later on in the television. This was valuable, valuable to the town. And and then when 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 you're in the thing and you're there as a director or the chairman, you then realise just what soccer team means to so many people. I mean, some of them live or die for this. I mean, there was one man and he used to write me a letter every Monday morning for years and they weren't complimentary. <laughs> but you see, you don't get compliments from someone who's so enthusiastic and passionate. He was just saying, Mr. Hoy, do you know anything about football? Why are you playing that fellow at left back? Sure, he has no left foot at all. In fact, in fact, in fact he hasn't a very good right one either. And this would all be in the letter to me every week. Yeah. Now, I realised that man lived for it. You know, I mean, he lived for it. Another man said to me one time, Vincent, you're doing a great job up there. Uh, this was a professional man. Uh, I'd like to help you out if I could and do a bit, you know, for you. Well, I said, look, there's a meeting now next Wednesday night. So come up and see, and there's a meeting of the of the, the, the supporters and all that. So he did, and he sat at the back. <laughs> and I was used to these meetings. One fellow gets up and says, Vincent, you're a, you're a complete fool. Why are you doing this? Why are you not doing that? Can you not see this? Why don't understand? And... Because I'm there, used to all this, and I'm taken up. Because I knew that that man was so passionate, he would do anything for the club. And if I was looking for a few pounds, he'd be the first man I would go to as far as, you know. But so, and we're great, we're always great friends. I never got personal with these things. So in any event, I meet, I meet my friend after, you see, and he says, Vincent, he said, you don't have to take that kind of abuse and everything. He said, what the name of God? So I explained. I said, look, he's the best fellow we have. I mean, he's a great supporter. He said, I, I give my life for him. He couldn't see that at all, you know. What I do is, I, 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 and so I never took anything personal. Uh, we may have had our disagreements and all that, but... When you have a common cause and you're committed, people do get passionate. They really do about, about the game. And and oh, I'm just as passionate as anybody. And as I say, I come back to you and say, hey, don't let that club fail in Drogheda. We've been there for a hundred years now. We have ups and downs and wins and losses, a hell of a lot more losses than wins. But we have great memories. And I have made great friends. I have them all over Ireland. Uh, and I, I, I met them the other night at the, at the when we were up at the, the award, and they come and and it brings you back, and it's there's a camaraderie about it, but it's important for Drada, and I want to say something to the people of Drada who are listening to me now. Treat this club as your possession, you as a citizen of Drada. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't never belong. I always thought myself as a trustee for of it to save it and preserve it. In this year, this centenary year, I would love to think that all the people in Drogheda would think for a few minutes about what they could do for this club. Some people have nearly given their lives for it. But I'm only asking. Just sit there and business people. Is there any little thing you can do 
You might be to buy a season ticket, might be to buy a jersey, might be to buy a ticket for something that they're running. It might be to put a poster in your window if you're a business person. Any little thing, just because it's your club, your club, look after it and help it. There are some people who are ready to give hours and hours and hours and money and everything to keep it going. You do a little bit in your own little way. I can't tell you what to do, but I, I believe that if people sat down and felt an ownership, you ownership because that's what you have. Drogheda owns this club. Look after it. You were telling us there earlier you played for Cord Celtic. You're a boy of the Cord Road in the heart of Drogheda. You went on to play for Drogheda United. And then you were asked by Father Kevin Connolly, the famous Father Kevin Connolly, to get involved with the formation of Drogheda FC to go into the league in the early 60s. Roll on the years and the two clubs come together. Drogheda United, the original club, founded 1919, and the 1960s version, Drogheda FC, who went into the League of Ireland. What do you recall about that merger? Was it a difficult time? Well, I may have been a Drogheda AFC man, but I was always a Drogheda United man too, because of the history and everything. And it, it became apparent to me that... First of all, the Lord Stadium, no question marks about it. We didn't own it. We had no real control. There was the athletic club around it and one thing in another word. So uh, I think the idea of the merger, I, I don't want to claim complete credit for it, but, but I was a moving force in it and I did draft the whole thing. And, of course, I knew the people in Drawdy United. I knew Danny O'Neill well and uh, Joe Mullally, of course, who was in the Cod Road. Well, it's not the Cod Road, anyhow. Um, well, Jean, Jean McKenna might think that, but Jean also. So I wanted a merger like that. I wanted, and I, I was a Drogheda United name too, was the thing to have. And uh, so we we had meetings and we drafted things and we came to an agreement. We we incorporated Danny and Joe in the in the, in the constitution and all their rights and everything else, you know. So that's how it happened. Yeah. And it happened. And of course, there's always difficulties when you have the red and black and the claret and blue and oh, all that goes with yeah. that as well. But that's history at this stage. Yeah. But you left the Lourdes Stadium then and moved to United Park. Now I remember the opening of United Park, 1977, Queens Park. Grey just came along and really at that stage it was a ground ahead of its time mm. I, I loved the ground of course the United Park and if only we could have got a bit more ground and could have expanded it and we, we, we looked into that but it never was possible but it, it, it still is a marvellous place to be when you have a full crowd there and you know what I mean you're so close to everything happening but like everything else of course time catches up really and uh, to have started to spend big money, you, you, you just really couldn't do it because you haven't the room or anything else to create the facilities. So now we're talking about a new stadium. Now I've spent 25 years trying to get that stadium. I've met some terrible setbacks. We nearly had it in our grasp numerous times, different sites and so on. And But anyhow, let's forget about all that. Now, here we are in the 100 years centenary and here we are with the stadium is going to happen now and that's a wonderful thing for Drogheda too not not just for the Drogheda United team but for all young teams and youngsters and everything else there'll be all kinds of facilities etc so it's it's marvellous so there's a whole new era starting for Drogheda United and I'm glad I lived to see it and I, I hope now that people in Drogheda will make sure that by God it'll be here in 200 years I'm sure it will, Vincent. It's such an asset to the place. When you reflect on all your years involved, and I mentioned the amalgamation there, there were some really great times, but success eluded you for a long time. Cup final 71, replay, Limerick yeah. didn't go draw his way. 76, Bohemians. I was a little fella there that day. I remember yeah. myself so sad as well to lose. And, you know, on it goes, and your runners up in the league, and you think... It'll never happen. And then suddenly we come into the noughties and yeah. the whole country's on the rise and so is Drogheda United. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, we, we prepared a 10-point ten ten plan, if I remember at the time. And I think when I looked at it afterwards, we, we achieved nine of them. The 10th one was to get the, the ground, the, the stadium. But all the rest of them, get a top-class manager. We got that in, in, in Doolan. Uh, 
you know, we, we, we put it on a firm financial basis at the time. Um, we, I was instrumental in getting the uh, Mosny, and that was that was a change, a complete cha- game changer. The facilities that Drogheda United had there, thanks to to Fela Matluski, and that was as good as any and better than most in the country, you know. And that was a great help in, in going forward with the team. And then, of course, we signed some great players. There's no doubt about that. So, <laughs> I talk about we were on a high. So, we had all the ingredients for a very successful club. And we did we did get the success. And my goodness me, but we had some great times then. The trips to Europe were just out of this world, you know. I have to remember one occasion when I'm sitting in Italy, in, 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 uh, in San Marino, before the match started, and next thing over there, I didn't know that anybody knew it was my birthday. It happened to be my birthday. And over the public address system, they all said, now we'd like to wish Vincent a happy birthday. And everybody in the ground stood up and sang happy birthday. And they even had a had a cake and everything else. Oh, Paddy Martin, I can't think of them now. The, 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 the gas we had in was really good. And I remember thinking, I saw that where John Delaney was criticised one time for being in a pub in in uh, Helsinki, I think it was. Well, it could have been me, because I remember being in a pub in Helsinki, singing every kind of song. <laughs> with a cr- We had wonderful times, really. You know, it's mm. great. Yeah, Yeah, the league was won, the cup was won, the All-Ireland Cup on a number of occasions, yeah. qualifying for Europe. And I, remiss me to say, I must mention, Drogheda did win the League Cup. That was the first trophy the club ever won in Tolka Park against that lone yeah, town that before, back before yeah. the, the great era. That's right, yeah. And Jell Martin was playing that night, yeah. Oh, yes, uh, but... There's so many things to remember. One of the things that I loved was when we lost over in in the Ukraine, I was in the, the box with these Ukrainians, very big club, you know, Dynamo Kiev. We all but beat them. I mean, to this day, I just can't tell we didn't beat them. First of all, Robinson hit the inside of one post and ran across the line and hit the other and came out. It was unbelievable. And then a chap called Hughes, if you remember him, yeah, he, he, he got through... Passed the goalkeeper, nothing to do when he hit the ball into the net, and he got his foot under the ball and it went over the bar. Unbelievable. But they were so nervous. If we'd got the goal, it was an away goal, we would have won. But what I did like afterwards was the whole crowd in that stadium stood up and applauded the Drawder team off the field. Now, you know, and... I was outside on the run. I'm on television and everything, and they're saying, "What are you going to do, Mister High, with that wonderful little team you have?" Wonderful. And I was thinking, "God, we're going to back back home, and it's not going to be great because we're, you know what I mean." But these are ma- magic moments, really magic. That's right. Yeah. I remember most of all in all the years the cup win, the cup win in 2005, and that big breakthrough. I thought I'd never see it in my lifetime, mm. and I'll always remember you. Uh, in West Street that night when the team came back and the joy and the thousands that thronged West Street. Yeah. But I saw one man standing at the barrier and I want to mention him today, Tom Munster. And you yeah. took the cup to the Cord Road, your home, and to Tom's house the next morning and it was on all the news bulletins on RTE. Well, Tom Munster, my goodness me, what a gentleman he was. And he just loved the, the club. I went down in the in the hotel down in the hotel, there was all kinds of people there, newspaper people and everything. And and uh, so I said, look, I'm going up to bring this cup up to Tom. He wasn't well at the time. <laughs> I said, for me, I'm going up the card road and I knock on the door with this cup, you know. <laughs> and Tom opened the door. Well, the tears were flowing. Everybody, including me, I can tell you. And he's, he said... <laughs> he, come in and he brought the cup in and his sister had died only a month or two before whom I knew well and he brought it over and put the cup on the chair he said that was our chair there you know well what could you do for Tom more than that nothing and I can tell you that when we won the league Tom's eyesight went to you know he couldn't see but he was up in he was in the hospital in Dublin and and uh I said, I'm bringing this up, the, the, the big le- league trophy, you know. And sure, in we went to the, into the house, and Tom was in bed there. And I said, Tom, 
Yeah, and the cup wasn't enough for you, I said. Yeah, we had the league trophy by you as well. And he got his picture taken with the nurses and everything. Nobody can. It's, I, I'm the one who, who got more out of that than even Tom. I mean, you couldn't do any more for a man than do that. And uh, th- yeah, it was all. The, 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 some of the newspaper people came up with the cup the time I went up with the cup. And that's what I mean about how what, what it can mean to people in the club. So there are golden moments ahead when when we'll get a repetition of this, yeah. Vincent Hoy is my special guest on Late Lunch this afternoon and we've been talking a lot about football. But let's talk about the man himself now for a moment. You're a cord road boy. You went to the Christian Brothers. Yeah. Born, reared, educated and worked all my life in Drogheda. I'm just, just Drogheda personified, really, you know, and it goes deep with me. That's why I can never understand people who, like myself, were born and everything in town, who weren't as committed to the town as they should have been, you know. But maybe they didn't have the leadership, we didn't have the community spirit at that time, although there, there are grave exceptions to that, and some people don't, you know, I don't want to be down. But uh, I always feel that, in, including myself, we could have done more. Maybe we could have done more for the town, you know. I think you're being hard on yourself, especially because no man could have done more than you. But talk to me about school. You went to the CBS and you went to school with some well-known people as well. Where did you go from school to get you into the law? Right, there's an interesting story in that. I came home, I was at home during the holidays after with the leaving certificate waiting for the result. The result comes out. And I knew all the things I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be an engineer. I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to be an architect, all that. But I didn't know what I wanted to be. My father met the late Pather McCann in Drogheda one day. And he said, oh, Pather, you know, this is at home. What are we going to do with him? He doesn't know what to do. Well, Pather said, I always thought he'd make a good solicitor. That's true. So my father came home. I didn't really know what a solicitor was. He brought me down to, to Tallinn and Company's office in West Street, and I met at that time a man called Gerald St. John Nolan, who was the, the Angene Gillen there, and uh, met him, and I liked the whole thing. Uh, so I ended up at 17 years of age as an apprentice in their office, and I worked there for five years as an apprentice. You don't get any pay in those days, you know. But uh, I loved it because there was a wonderful crowd of people there, there was a man called Con Megan who was a saint altogether uh, and a great sense of humour and everything and Eileen Courtney who came to walk for me afterwards Kathleen Lenehan and all these and they they treated me as their as their child really because I was a raw 17 year old and they took care of me they coddled me but the first day I was there they they gave me an envelope and said look would you go up to the town to the district court like Mr. Coffey and he'll give you a form. We want form two is ZX or something. So off I went up to the courthouse and into Tom Coffey. He opened the letter and looked at it and he said, mm, Don't believe we have that form here. I'll have a look around but no. He said, No, you'll have to go down to the guards, go down and and, and uh, see somebody down there. I'm sure they'll have it. And he gave me the envelope and uh, off I went down and, and uh I, I met a man there, God, I'll have to think of his name, a sergeant there, and he had a famous man, uh, and uh, he said, and asked, would anyone have this form? Anyone know where form such and such would be? No, we're out of them. You'll have to send them down to the Department of Agriculture or something. Anyhow, to cut a long story short, I was sent all round the town, and of course the envelope was saying, send the fool for them. That's true, yeah. Did they do that to you? They did, yeah. And I always think it it didn't mean any no harm. Do you know that? Because it introduced you to a lot of people. Uh, It did, and, 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 uh, you know, I was on great terms even with the guards and all that afterwards, you know, uh, and to various, and Coffee, of course, was a complete character altogether. A great, uh, he was a great help to me, you know, because he was very knowledgeable in in legal things and everything, yeah. Mm. So you, you, you finish your apprenticeship. What happens from there? I... Was very successful to be honest now, because I I I won the gold medal, which was hadn't been won for twenty eight years, uh, and uh, I got won everything: the Finlayser scholarship, the Overend scholarship. In fact, there is no man since has ever won all three. You know, but in any event, I then got a scholarship to go to 
to uh, Salzburg, and that, that that broadened my my horizons because I met people from all over Europe, from you know academics, and every meal was an education. I, I kept my mouth shut quiet, become from, <laughs> and but. The main thing is when I was finished all that and my eyes were open and, and I come back to Drogheda and I want to change the world, I want to change Drogheda, I want to bring them into the new century. But I think a lot of people thought I was a crank. You know, what when you would bring ideas that... I had great opportunities now with education and the travelling and all this and a lot of people didn't. When I was young, the day in late town was a big thing and if you went to Dublin, going up to Dublin as we used to say, once or twice a year I mean that was fantastic but, but so I, I got all this particularly my trip to Salzburg that I'm studying in, 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 the, in the library there and I was staying in a place called the Schloss Leopoldskron which was where the sound of music was made and I can remember sitting in the summer house you know, there's a scene in it where, in the summer house and I was actually sitting in that and saying Mike and this film had only been made a few years before a big lake in front of it and I went back there yes they used to keep in touch with you with the alumni as they called them and uh, I went back after 10 years or more and met a lot of the old friends some of them the fellows who were in class with me for example we were taught by professors and a judge one judge from the Supreme Court of New Jersey Judge Jacobs we decided to go for a weekend to Vienna, and I was an opera buff even then. So we went around, and my, um, I, I, a fellow from Oslo that was in the class with me, we were in having a meal, or having, having nice big buns, uh, cream buns there at the time. And he got to, and I said, Lord, I'd have loved to have got a ticket for the opera. And he said, uh, I have a girl, uh, my girlfriend knows a girl in Austria here, and you never know, she might be able to do it. Ring her up, I said. He rang her up. In comes this beautiful girl. And uh, we got talking, and I said, I'd love to. Oh, she said, my uncle is a trustee of the opera house. I'll see you back in. Yeah, she went to the phone. She rang up. And next thing, she came back in, and she said, look, Vincent, there's a ticket for you. It's at such and such an address. If you go there, you'll get it. Okay. Off we go. Rushed off. Went to the hotel and got a dark suit and went off up and in and got the ticket. Now, this is true. I got a taxi because it was a bit back to the, to the uh, opera house. People are filing in everywhere all for this. It turned out that it was the gala performance of Carmen. They were coming from all over Europe. People with big sashes here and and tiaras and they didn't know smart. And uh, so I, I go, went over to a fellow livery fellow there and I said, uh, "Where's where Messi?" Oh, he said, "Come this way." I was in the royal box. I was in the royal box, right in the centre at this. So now I looked down. I'm there looking all around me. Of course, there were people looking at me and saying, where did he come from, from the name of God? Who is he? Who is he? But anyhow, down below, I see Judge Jacobs' wife and his daughter were down. In, in the, and the daughter turned around, and then she tapped her father and pointed up at me. And I, <laughs> I saluted him. He got his ticket in New York for to go to this. Would you? And no, the best of all was, we were taught by a man called Professor Bice. Now, Professor Bice was a professor in Harvard had written books on all kinds of law and everything. A lovely man, Tower or something. In the opera house, up under the roof, there is a, people come and lean over a brass rail. And who was leaning over the brass rail? Only <laughs> Professor Bice. <laughs> I, I look up and I saw him. And I gave him... <laughs> afterward, you wonder how he said to me afterward. But <laughs> anyhow... I I really feel the soprano was singing to me all night. She was straight in front of me, you know, and this and and it was Mario Delmonico was the tenor. I mean, this was fa fabulous performing. So uh, uh, anyhow, would you believe it? Afterwards, I went to America, and uh, I went to Harvard, and I met Professor Bice, 
And, you know, he invited me to, to lunch in the Harvard Club, which is the most exclusive bloody place you could be. He said, the night I looked in and saw you, he said, in the Royal Box, I just said, who the hell is he? I mean, really, you know, it's unbelievable. What a great well, story here, that yeah, is. But here's an even better, well, it's good a story. A friend of mine, Max Neville, and myself went to America. We were guests of the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick, and every, I could tell you a story. But in any event... Uh, Max, we said, look, we'll go to, we'll go to Philadelphia. I want. We actually met the mayor of Philadelphia and everybody. But in any event, he said, we're on the train from New York. We're going through New Jersey, and Max says to me, you know, and there's an awful pity. He said that we we couldn't have stopped off and met Judge Jacobs because he he's he's in in Stanton. And I said, I yeah, well, we haven't time or anything else. As true as I'm there, the train pulled up. The door of the carriage there opened, and Judge Jacobs came in. And he sat. He didn't see see us. He just sat down. And we I waited. And I went over and tapped him on the. How are you doing, Judge? <laughs> how are you? How are you? Where the hell did you? Can you believe anything? It's such a, an amazing coincidence. Oh, nice. Do you know what he did? He said, look, you're not going to Philadelphia for the, for the moment. I'll get you on the shuttle. That's the plane we... He said, pulled up at Trenton. Out we came, up to, to the court, to the, the Supreme Court of New Jersey, and met all the seven judges, including Brennan, who was later on the, on the Supreme Court of, New, of America. And I always remember... He brought us in and introduced us to his library and his assistants and all of this thing. And then, oh, we'll have a bit of lunch. And all, the whole lot of us, the seven judges and the two of us, up in a lift to this cafeteria. And here are the Supreme Court judges getting their their their, their plates and, and self-service and all this. And I was thinking of the judges back in Ireland, you know, where you had to stand by and nearly and scrape to them and they walk with you. And I, I told some of the High Court judges in the year afterwards about it, you know, but the informality of them. Mm. But there we had a, what a wonderful experience, you know. Brilliant. And he brought stories. us to the airport and we just, at that time, the shuttle, all you had to do was buy a ticket and wait for it and just get on the plane and flew. We flew out to Philadelphia then, yeah. <laughs> great, great stories. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when you yeah. finished, like, in Austria and all that was complete, mm. did you come back to Drogheda and set up by yourself or what happened then? Yes, I did. Um, 1957, I qualified. And I worked in Tallinn's office until 1963 years. And then... I decided to work on my own. I didn't have one client, didn't have anything. Got an office over MCO there. And I, as I used to say then, you'd be listening, hoping to hear someone coming up the stairs. <laughs> oh, wonderful. And I got to a stage then, I was so busy, I said, oh, God, oh, not someone else nearly, you know. But uh, it was, I, I it was very good to me again, you know, the people knew me and all that. And uh, very, we, I built up a very big practice in a short time. Then we opened an office in Malbriggan. We opened an office in Dublin. We, it really we took off. And I remember you, of course, when I met you first in Wellington, Key in Drogheda, yeah. and now in Fair Street, where B.B. High yeah. operates and is so busy and successful today. That yeah. must please you. It's life, isn't it? It's a battle really going along and uh, building it up. My, my approach to the law, I, I, I sometimes think that I'm not, wasn't the typical type. Of, you know, I... I saw it again as a role of helping people in Drogheda. I mean, I, I would go along the street and I'd see a place for sale. Well, I wouldn't leave it at that, you know. I'd say, gee, you know, that that is suit such and such, you know. So I'd ring him up and say to him, look, have you ever thought, God, I never thought of it, Vincent. Well, look, I'd help you. And, we, 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 you know, and then he suddenly gets enthusiastic and great. And I, I've lived to see quite a few of these people making great success you know boy yeah, yeah. i mean so that I, and i i loved it i did the district court for years sam shaw the late sam shaw and myself we, we used to have great fun in the district court but it taught you to, to get up on your feet and think on your feet mm. you had to think quick you know what I mean? and uh, as a result i never had much difficulty in public speaking or anything afterwards because yeah uh, and uh, it was great training for me as well 
until one day I, I was come down from the court about four o'clock and uh, a man, I was going in the door when a man met me coming out. Oh, he said, there you are, Vincent. Well, I just said I'd try to get you once more. And I said, well, he said, look, I've been in here three or four and you seem to be always up there in the district court and all this. And it, that registered me. I said, look, I'll get an assistant and we'll do the court from here on at the district court. I, my place is in the office to meet people. And so I did. Bill James uh, joined me and, of course, we built on from there. But uh, these are you know, the things in that mm. change your life, really, at mm. times, yeah. Vincent Hoy, a special with the great man on late lunch this afternoon. Tell me about your wife, Gisela, and how you met her. It was like this. I was over with Liam Marr, the late Liam. He was at school with me, Liam, you know. And uh, we were chatting over, I remember it well, over, his, over the shop in James Street at the time. And he said, I, I'm, I'm going off, he said, to, to, to Greece. I said, to Greece, you know. Yeah, he said, uh, some, he had the brochure and all that. Would you like to come? Oh, I said, well, of course, you know, yeah, well, we'll. And as a matter of fact, we, I, I won't mention a lot of names, but there was a couple of other friends were included in this, you see. So we set off and uh, we, we uh, ended up on the island of Rhodes. What year was this, Vincent? 1965. And uh, we're in this nice hotel, and uh, the beach is there, and, uh, you know, it's lovely. So I, I have to say that I think when I was having a meal in the hotel, I did, I think, notice Gisela sitting at a table down. But, look, you'd want to think of the Irishman in those days. She'd be sitting there, yes, and I wouldn't have the nerve to go next to near or anything else, you know. But then I went down on the beach, and I noticed her, uh, on the beach with her parents, and that. And she tells the story afterwards. She laughed at us. We t- getting towels around ourselves, trying to change our clothes, and you know, she thought it was ludicrous, looking at it funny. But in any event, uh, this night we—I happen not I, but a few of us—we met this man and woman. Lady and I think from London who are in the rag trade, and we made friends with them and had a meal with them and all this, so so that she knew us. So this night we're sitting out on the veranda at the hotel, the moon is shining. We're having a few drinks and all this, and uh, she comes along, and she took one look at us and said, "What are all you fellas doing sitting there? You should be out chasing girls." And I said, listen, I said, we don't know any girls here or anything else. How, how, there's a nice girl down there, she said. Gisela was sitting down at the other end where our mother and father. Uh, and uh, why don't you go down and, and, and introduce yourself to her? I said, you must be joking. I mean, <laughs> how could you? We couldn't. You couldn't do that, I said. You know. Well, she said, if you won't do it, I will. And she went down. Had a word I could see her talking. Next thing is, she arrived up with Gisela by the hand and sat her down beside me. That's the truth. And I can go a little further because I, <laughs> I have Gisela's side of the story as well. One or two of the fellows that were with me, one in particular was a bit of a ladies' man. As he, I, I was very reticent and very, and he was giving her a bit of a line. So, and it brought me in to protect Gisela, funny thing, you know. So uh, one by one they, they, they got up and left and uh, I was left with Gisela. And then I said to her, got jacked and everything, I said, would you like to go dancing? Um, so she said, oh, yeah, okay. So the following night we went dancing to a place called Roads by Night. I'll always remember it, yeah. <laughs> and some of the boys came down later. They said, we'll be down after you, Vincent. We'll, we'll, you know. So they came down and had one look at the two of us and said, I, I think we better get lost. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history, <laughs> history as they yeah. say. Yeah. But yeah. wait a minute, it's 65 yeah. and yeah. think of the communications were quite primitive back then. You came home to Ireland and she went where? Where was she from? Oh, sure. She was in Germany and then she went from there to, to Spain uh, and she spent a year in Spain. Then she studied at the Sorbonne in Paris and in all this time, I'm writing letters back and forth to her. And I have to tell this story. I was living out at, out at Balgatherin at the time. And uh, John Moore, a lovely man, was the postman. Now, the postman in those days, you know, he had his bicycle and he came along and everything. But 
he noticed these letters coming from Germany, very strange to be seen letters, and from Spain. And he said to my mother, is there something going on here? You know, he realised what it was. <laughs> so so then in, in the end, I... I flew over to Germany and met her went easily. Then we used to meet in London and we'd go halfway and she did. Then finally she flew over to to us in Drogheda and we got engaged and that was the story. Yeah. What a fabulous story. And of course you have three children. Yeah. You have Roisin, your daughter, who is here in, in Ireland. Mm, beside me here, actually, yeah. She lives only up the road, yeah. Very handy. And three grandchildren there, too, yeah. Three right girls. beside you to enjoy. Yeah. Francis, who I met recently, is in London. That's right, yeah. He's been in London quite a while, yeah. But sure, he keeps in touch with us and he's over. As a matter of fact, I think he'll be over in another mm. week or two, yeah. And you have three um, grandchildren now there. Yeah, that's right. The latest one only a, few, a month or two ago, yeah. And, of course, Connor, who is now following in your footsteps. Not that he's followed you all his life and followed Drahad yeah. as well, but he is now chairman of the football club. I remember bringing Connor sitting on my knee in United Park, you know, when he was very small. He was inducted very early on. <laughs> yeah. so, so he spent years in London and everything, but he has come back now a couple of years ago and he's living half a mile down the road, the other direction, yeah, in Dunlera. And he has his son and the wife and that, so that... Yes. You're living in Dublin at this stage, but you've lived the great part of your life in in Drogheda and been of Drogheda. When you look at the town now, and I know you're involved in the city status group, deeply, Mm. passionately involved, and you're always lobbying for the town and trying to put its case forward. Do you believe that, you know... It can be better. That Drogheda can be much better than it is today, even though there's been a lot of advances. Well, I always say, and probably true of me as well, but we never realised what we had in Drogheda. Just didn't know, and we didn't know how to handle it. We didn't know how to love it. We didn't know how to take care of it. The wrong people were in the wrong places at the wrong time, uh, and uh, I am very strong about what I call a sense of place. You know, you know that song about Derry. These people, you know, that town I love so well, and that's Drogheda to me. And I know that Drogheda. If you had a map of Ireland and look at it, and you wanted to build a city and the unknown, that's the place you'd put it, really. Because I mean, it has everything. We have, and think of, think of the the seaside where I spent so many years and all that. All the different places from Tam and Feck and Baltray, Mornington, Leighton, Bertiestown, Gormont. It's all there, the Golden Sands. The river, historically, that river Boyne, so much history in it, and then the Boyne Valley and its beauty and so forth. <clears throat> all, the, all the historical connections, I don't have to list them because they're well known. Then even the land, that's the most fertile land around Rahada, anywhere in the country. And then the history, again, people know it now, but, uh, and its situation on the main highway, the M1 down, running by it, in the centre of what we call that corridor uh, between Dublin and Belfast, uh, the economic corridor, the main line north to south running by it, I mean, it's 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 an extravagance of riches, and it is true to say that we did not and have not either realised it in both senses, <laughs> the double meaning there, have realised its potential. And it's there to be done, and we have done a lot of damage. I'm not going to be negative here now, but some of the treatment that has been given and meter out to, to Drogheda and some of the lovely buildings and so forth. But it's not never no use looking back. It, just like with the football club, let's go forward and let's have a, a community spirit. Let's have a coming together. I thought the FLA now did show. I know people that came down to the FLA and they said, Vincent, I couldn't believe, uh, you know, what, what Drogheda. I, I never really knew it before. They could wander around the streets and see it. Uh, and I've had people from Belfast. We had the mayor of Belfast down here uh, and uh, various, the, the grand master of, of, of the Orange Lodge and everything down. And 
they had to come through the town. To them, they either passed by on the railway line. That's a story about me as a youngster too. I have to tell when I when I arrived so many, but. I we lived down very near to the bridge to 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 the Boyne Viaduct, and then when I was a little fellow, the Unionists or the Loyalists or whatever you call them used to come on on the twelfth of July and all that and around it, on the trains going by, and they used to throw money out into the river. I'd say there's a, there was more money down in the bottom of the river there in Boyne, but because we got cute and a lot of them would miss. <laughs> And it wouldn't go into the river, it would go down on the ground, or else it would hit some of the ironwork and be diverted and that. And we would be down to collect it, yeah. So I told some prominent unionist recently, I said, look, I said, you don't realise what you had to fund my youth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> great, great memories. Yeah. But when you sit here today and reflect on a wonderful life, a fantastic family, a life in sport, in your profession, in in the history and the, the fabric of Drahad and everything you've been involved in, you can't have any regrets. You've had just a wonderful time, haven't you? I've I've always been lucky. I, I say it. I do, really do say that. Things seem to go right for me. Now, I have to say my philosophy has been to help people. You know, and you always get it back. I mean, I fellas have come to me there recently. I, I was went into a garage... I won't say where, and uh, with another person. I wanted to help them with the one who wanted to buy a car. And a fellow came out, and he looked, and he said, Vincent, hi. Oh, he said, Vincent, you don't know the good you did for me. A great turn. Now, he then recalled something way back. And, and, you know, when someone says that to you, you you know what I mean? You, You really feel that, that, your your life has been a little bit worthwhile, really. It's, and it definitely comes back to you. I maintain that. You know. You've been listening to A Slice of Life with Vincent Hoy on Late Lunch this afternoon. And can I say to finish up, you are a modest man. You have helped so many people. You've put Drogheda on the map in many, many ways, and especially through sport and the football club. And all the joy that that has given to so many people, as you said earlier on in the interview, mm-hmm. and the great memories and We've seen it in Drogheda, the League, the Cup, the League Cup, the European I'll Nights. You, I'll tell you one other thing I used to like to do. When I was going on, on Europe, we were, as you know, we were in Helsinki, we were in Ukraine, we were in Italy, wherever. I would always, as the chairman, have to say a few words. They give a dinner, you know, for the officials. Well, I always used to start speaking in Irish. Now, I was in the Ukraine, and I'm in this wonderful hall, you know, decorative hall, and you have these big officials of this huge club, millionaires, or I don't know, you know, big fellas, bank bank directors and everything. And they, they said, oh, Mr. Hoy, we are supplying you with a translator so that you can understand what's been said. And so I'm there with my translator and all that. And then they indicate, would I like to say a few words? So I got up and I spat speaking in Irish. And you could see the horror around everybody. <laughs> they didn't know what. And when I, had, I then trans- changed over and I said, now I don't need a translator. I said, I'll be my own translator. So I then told them what I had said in Irish. And I got a great kick out of things like that. And it's, it's memorable. They never forget that type of thing, you know. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. But anyway, again, to say to finish, look, Vincent, it's been fantastic catching up with you today. Just catching a slice of your life as well and mm-hmm. the wonderful life you've had and all you've done for Drogheda especially, and through its football club. I think you'll always be synonymous with that and the great success and honour and joy you brought to thousands and thousands of people in the town over the years. Can I say to finish, you are one of Drogheda's greatest sons. Don't lose that club now. That's my final word. And look after the town of Drogheda and you'll get it all back. It's a lovely place to live. I think I can finally quote... um, uh, Ken Whitaker. Ken Whitaker lived in Drogheda, of course, and Ken said, it's a magical place. Such a lovely thought and words to leave us with today. Vincent Hoy, thank you so much. Not at all, Jerry. Thank you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.